For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Doug Bronner, uh, one of the pastors at Holy Cross in, in Colorado Springs. Also, uh, I wear the title of what's called in our, our denomination a circuit visitor, and I've been privileged to be working with FOC on your calling of another pastor. And I know that that's been difficult for you. I mean, when you extend a call to a pastor and you've prayed about it and you believe that's the person God is directing to be here, and then that pastor returns the call, it can be very difficult. Um, I know that God has somebody very special planned for this, this place. And uh, when a pastor has a call, they actually have two calls at that time. The call to the congregation they're serving and the congregation that's calling them. And they, it's a difficult decision as to what, uh, what do you do? And so we know that um, you have an amazing leadership here at Holy Cross. Uh, Holy Cross, good grief. <laughs> oh. I'm not the same right now. My, and I'm gonna be, if, you, if you see me do this every once in a while, um, I'm having back surgery at the end of the month, and um, it's, my mind just isn't quite as sharp as it used to be. No comment, Tom. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I'm glad to be with you today. Um, you are so blessed with Jeremy Hetzel. Um, And you may be aware, maybe you're not, that uh, I had the opportunity to work with Jeremy back before kids, before marriage, uh, back when he was pretty young. And, well, I'm not going there. Anyway, <laughs> um, he's, he's a great man, and what a joy to be. Spend some time with him today as, as well, uh, to be, be here. Um, you'll notice that, that, okay, so we're talking about holy jeans, right? That's, that's where we're at right now, doing this series on holy jeans. Um, I didn't wear any holy jeans today. You can be thankful for that. Um, <laughs> Jeremy can get away with it. He's young, okay? He's expected to wear clothes. In fact, I watched the video, okay? And when I saw it, I didn't think anything of it at first. <laughs> Just Jeremy, right? <laughs> if, if you guys saw me up here with holy jeans, you'd say there's something wrong. You picked up some guy off the street to come in and preach to us today. <laughs> holy jeans, what a great title. So I want you to think for a moment with me. What it would be like if Jesus was born in the 21st century, specifically if he had been born in the year 2005. So I'm not good at math, at least I can do that. That would put him at 12 right now. And uh, I want you all to imagine that the temple in Jerusalem actually was still in existence. It wasn't uh, uh, torn down and, and destroyed, but that it was still in existence. Now, some of you know where I'm going with this. And I would like you to think for a moment, what would have been like if Jesus at the age of 12 today had been in the temple? You remember the stories there and his parents were all worried about him? I think it might have gone something like this, Jesus being in the temple, and I'm going to be Jesus for a moment. Yeah, mom, what can I do for you? Yeah, I'm in the temple. Mom, don't worry. Don't you know that God would be in my father's house? Yeah, Mom, I'll meet you in 15 minutes out at the gate of the city. All right, Mom, love you. <laughs> Does not have the same ring <laughs> as Luke chapter 2 in uh, <laughs> Jesus being in the temple. Um, last week, Jeremy did an amazing job of reading the names from Matthew chapter one of Jesus' genealogy. And 
when we look at that genealogy of the, the names, we don't know a lot of the people that were there, but what we do know is that there are people like you and me. One of the things I love about the scriptures is that it shows us warts and all, right? These people who are part of Jesus' lineage were not perfect. They were forgiven. They were restored. They were different because of what God had done in their life. But they were like you and me. There's no difference to them. I, I have to admire the way he got through the names. And a couple of things, if you ever get stuck reading names like that in the Bible, you got one of two choices. You can do what Pastor Jeffrey does I work with uh, at Holy Cross. He uses a name like George or Sally every time he runs across a name he can't pronounce. And so, and so it's so obvious then, right? Or the better re- way to do it is just say him with authority. Nobody knows how to pronounce it anyway, right? Just say it like you know how to pronounce it. Did a good job, Jeremy. Proud of you. You didn't learn that from me. <laughs> you get, today we're going to look at a couple of, of, of characters, one that you know and one you may not know as well. We're going to look at, at Solomon, King Solomon, and then we're going to turn our attention to a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Solomon, King Solomon, was responsible for building the temple. That's why I did the little thing with Jesus there in the temple to begin with. And I'm going to get back to that later too. And then you got Zerubbabel, who's responsible for building the second temple after it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. So King Solomon built the first temple and Zerubbabel the second temple. And there's differences between the two, but there's something important that we pull these together for us to learn. As you go through the stories in Jesus' genealogy, it's all about redemption, stories of redemption. That's where it ties in for you and me. So let's start with Solomon, King Solomon. You know something about King Solomon. You're probably aware that he was the son of King David. Maybe not so much aware that he was the second son of Bathsheba by David. Remember Bathsheba, don't you? The woman that David committed adultery with. And out of that moment of adultery she conceived and then King David had her husband killed in battle so he's really guilty of murder as well the prophet Nathan comes up to him confronts him with his sin he says I've sinned he doesn't make any excuses for it God forgives him but he says that child's going to die and the child does And then in consoling Bathsheba at the death of her son, she actually conceives Solomon. This is a story of redemption, isn't it? Now it's through Solomon that the line of Jesus is going to to find its root. Out of this adulterous situation, out of something terrible, God did something amazing. It's what redemption is. There's no story, there's no person whose story is so bad than something so terrible that redemption in Christ cannot redeem. And that's what we learn here from Solomon to begin with. Well, Solomon then takes over the throne. And that's another story in the first few chapters of of 1 Kings, how he he, uh, gets the throne, while David's still alive, by the way. But another sermon there. And... Four years after he is king, he starts building the temple. So we're going to go to scripture. 
We're going to start in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. Excuse me, not 3, 6, chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6, we'll look at verses 1 and 7, talk a little bit about them. There's some uh, other passages we want to look at in relationship to Solomon. Okay, so let's start at verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 6. In the 480th year after the Israelites had come out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. Now skip over with me, please, to verse 7. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. And it took seven years for that temple to be built. All right. We just got done celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the Wittenberg uh, door uh, in, in the castle of Schorschkirche door in, in, in Wittenberg, Germany. 500 years seems like a long time ago. It's about the same amount of time here in relationship to when the people of Israel left Egypt, slavery in Egypt, to the time that the temple is built. Long time period. Previous to this, the Ark of the Covenant had resided in a, in a, in a, in a tent. And there's, some, there's a dynamic here that's going to change in Israel. And that is that, that that tabernacle would move them, right? And now it's going to become stationary. But anyway, so that's, it had been, and now Solomon builds this temple. Builds it in seven years, which itself is quite a feat. And especially when you consider how it was built. And that's why I read verse 7. I love verse 7 because you got this feeling, this giant Legos being put together. The, the, all these stones were quarried and chiseled away from Jerusalem, and then brought in and fit perfectly together to form the temple. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So seven years again, it goes on. Um, at the end then, the temple's dedicated, and Solomon blesses the people at the end of that dedication. So turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, we're going to pick up a verse 54. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. But your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at at this time. So raise raise the hands here. How many of you love the new car smell? Be honest, come on, raise my yeah, I thought so. We love it, don't we? In fact, we'll buy air freshener when it starts to disappear. That keeps us smelling like a new car. 
And I got a feeling that's the way Solomon is here with the temple. Think about it. It's all together. It's seven years being constructed. I don't know if every day he went out to watch the construction. I sure would and see what they're doing and, and all the planning that he put into it. Amazing planning that went into it. And now it's finished and you got that new car smell and how wonderful it kind of captivates you for a long time. But what happens to that new car smell? After a while it goes away and everything becomes pretty normal again, right? I bring this up because we want to focus here for a second on verse 61. In verse 61, we hear uh, Solomon say, but your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands at this time. Well, if you know anything about Solomon, you know that he didn't keep his own word here. The new car smell wore off on him. Go to chapter 11, and you find out that he had 700 wives that were alliances and it also says he loved them. He had 300 concubines. Things God said not to do. And then you go a little further in that story and you find out that his 700 wives led him into idolatry. And he falls from the Lord. Solomon puts into place what will be Israel's history for the next 370 some years until finally the Babylonians come and destroy this beautiful temple and leave it in ashes. So enter Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel had been a part of the captivity in Babylon. We don't know a whole lot about him other than his dad was Sheatl, I think they pronounce it. Um, I know I didn't say with authority, did I? <laughs> uh, somebody wouldn't corner me afterwards. Um, anyway, they don't know a whole lot, except that he and others built, rebuilt the temple. So let's start by looking at what Zerubbabel, he's again, we're talking about the, the lineage of Jesus. And, and one of the names that Jeremy read last week was Zerubbabel. And we're going to turn to Ezra now. The people have been in captivity, and uh, a few of them, not, uh, not the majority of them, but a few of them have returned back to Jerusalem, and they're going to rebuild the temple. So let's uh, look at verses 1 through 7 here of chapter 3 in Ezra. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, the son of jo Josedak, and his fellow priest and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both in the morning and evening sacrifices." Then in accordance with what is written, in the, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifice for all the, the appointed sacred feasts of the, of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to 
to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, uh, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the masons, the carpenters, and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so, they, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, King Persia. So, okay, a lot of words. The people come back, and what's the first thing they do? They don't build the building first, they build the altar. The most important part of what goes on in the temple was built first. No walls around it, no foundation built, just an altar. In an altar that where they offered the prescribed sacrifices God had given them out in the open for everybody to see. And if you caught it there, there's some problems already taking place that's going to keep them from building the temple quickly. And there's opposition by the people around them. But they're not afraid of that. They have their burnt offerings. They offer them in plain sight of everybody. It's not the same circumstance as Solomon. They've been through the ashes. And the first thing they do as redeemed people of God is build an altar. It's then two years before they lay the foundation. Let's pick up at verse 10. Same chapter, Ezra chapter 3. Let's pick up at verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he is good, his love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. We got to think about this for a moment. That to me is a wonderful picture of redemption because redemption is both about weeping and there's this weeping going on by the older people. They knew what the original temple looked like. And this is a found, just the foundation, not the walls, not anything else is being built. Just the foundation is being built. They start weeping because they knew what the temple had been. And they knew why it was destroyed. And there's that grief. In redemption, there is grief by the fact that we need to be redeemed, that there's something so wrong that we are so missed the mark with God and that we grieve and there's weeping over what our life has become. But then there's this shouts of joy over what God is doing, over the newness that is being brought about. Something new is happening and the people can rejoice. They know that God is, being, is with them, that God has redeemed them. It's what redemption is. And so now we need to go back and we need to take a look at Jesus in the temple, not as a 12-year-old, but later in his life. We'll go to John's gospel this time, John chapter 2. And as you're opening your Bibles to it, uh, we, just some background on what we're going to read here. Uh, just previous to this, Jesus has cleansed the temple. 
In John's gospel, it comes early. The other gospels, it's, it's later. And whether Jesus cleansed it twice or once, don't really know. There's debate on either way. But John has it at the beginning. So Jesus just cleansed the temple. He's ticked off everybody that's there, right? And so the, the religious leaders confront Jesus in verse 18, beginning at verse 18. Then the Jews de- uh, demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. When we look at that first temple built by Solomon that ended up being destroyed, and the second temple that was built by Zerubbabel and others, and then into the third temple, actually, which was Started by Herod the Great, took 46 years to this point when John recorded this, and it even took a few more years after that to finish it before it was destroyed in 70 AD. Those temples point to the temple, to Jesus Christ. And we see in what happened to these temples what happened to Jesus because his body was destroyed. And what destroyed the body of Jesus on the cross? Your sin, my sin, the sin of this whole world. You and I live in and deal with on a daily basis. Destroyed Jesus on the cross. Obliterated his life. Buried in a grave. That's what redemption is about. It's in the person of Jesus He's your temple. But he didn't remain dead in that grave, did he? He rose from the dead, and he's given you life, and he's given you hope. And that's what redemption is, too. It is about joy, about what God has done for us, and what he continues to do for us in this baby that's born for us, this baby that we're anticipating. And not only a baby, but coming back in his full glory, right? We're still waiting. Jesus is the temple. And we look at Solomon and we look at Zerubbabel, they both point to this baby that we're anticipating to come. This baby who has redeemed you. Has redeemed you. Amen.